Hello, I'm Scott Winnale, and this is TW Now. Children are our most precious resource, so goes the saying. But in this world of ever-increasing divorce and moral decay, rampant crime and evolving social norms, where does that leave our most precious of resources? Headlines are telling, including this one from NBC News late last year. Generation at risk, America's youngest facing mental health crisis. Our educational systems are no longer a bastion of learning but instead a platform for social construction that showcases our ever-changing morality. The guardrails are of right and wrong that once protected children's hearts and minds are now gone, leaving children to fend for themselves. Home is no longer a safe place and often instead a place where social media is the new danger. Given the dynamic world children are now living in, how can loving parents and grandparents protect this precious child under their view. On today's program, we have two returning guests who will provide answers and insights that can help. I'd like to welcome back Mr. Wyatt Siselka. He's a minister, a father, a Tomorrow's World magazine writer, and a former university professor. He's also spent time educating youth and has a passion and interest in working with them. Also, Mr. Stuart Wahavich. Mr. Wahavich is a longtime public educator a public school system administrator from Alberta, Canada. He's written and presented on the topics of children and education, a subject he knows very well. He's also a minister, a father, and a grandfather. And Mr. Wahavich is joining us today via Skype from Mississauga, Ontario in Canada. Gentlemen, again, welcome back to both of you. It is wonderful to have you on our program. I'm excited about our conversation today, and I know it will be of help to our viewers. By the way, uh, if you do have any questions, please feel free to send us a note and we will try and get to those today as well. Okay, gentlemen, let's start out with this question. What are some of the new and emerging threats to the minds and the hearts of our children? What is out there and what are our kids facing today? Mr. Wahavich, why don't you go ahead and start? Well, I think uh, it's a very different world than uh, we may have grown up in or our parents grew up in. And uh, it is a world that does have many challenges and uh, many threats to the uh, integrity of the culture that we have tried or our parents have tried to pass on. Um, there is increasing pressure from uh, what they call the progressivist element within school systems in North America, uh, which are, is, provides an anti-intellectual approach that uh, doesn't value knowledge but uh, values uh, students deciding to learn for themselves, creating a very weakened education system. And uh, there's also the social messaging uh, that is all around students today, the forced affirmation uh, in school systems and in society of new beliefs. Uh, perhaps they be around the LGBTQ issue, perhaps around climate, perhaps around abortion or other uh, other issues and there is a, an overt attempt in our uh, to our children uh, challenge to our children to destroy the traditional values that have been passed on from generation to generation and uh, whether they be connected with cultural values or values of faith and uh, there's even uh, despite many warnings from doctors and uh, many warnings from uh, experts who have uh, reviewed these issues, even a warning about not having your child uh, 
in front of a screen too long every day because there's a negative uh, associated with that medically. And yet uh, there is pressure to be in front of some kind of a screen, whether a handheld mm. device or a, a large screen. There, there, are, there are many challenges which start to erode the traditional set of values that we've had for, for centuries uh, and start to erode trust in those fundamentals of faith which are psychologically anchoring to a child. We wonder why the suicide threat is so high. We wonder why the mental illness rate among children is so high. Well, you remove those cultural anchors, children are adrift. And in that, uh, in that tossing sea of uh, various challenges, if they don't have an anchor, uh, they will become unsettled. And, uh, you know, they're awash also with uh, much, uh, they call it entertainment. Uh, but whether it's the uh, a lot of the movies, a lot of the television programs, which show excessive violence, and it shows the very violence the society condemns. Mm -hmm. And then they are surprised when people start to mimic those violent uh, acts, especially uh, maybe young people who uh, haven't got as much uh, guidance from parents, etc. Uh, it is a, a lot going on. And there is an attempt to remove children from the values and the trust in their parents, and also remove children from the values and trust and faith and any sort of religious anchor that they may have as well. I think these are some of the critical fundamental challenges that our youth is facing, which are destabilizing our society. Now, this is interesting <clears throat> listening to you talk. Here you are a former public educator, um, an administrator in public educational systems. You've, you've dedicated your life to bringing children along and trying to help the system help raise children in the right way. And here you're pointing out some very sobering facts that are, or situations that are occurring in the educational system today. The, um, the forces of change within education uh, have been somewhat, uh, I say, promoted by um, different criteria vis-a-vis -vis hiring practices over the past uh, 20 years, 15 to 20 years. And as um, older educators who were perhaps trained and uh, trained up in a much different paradigm of education, a much different model of education with different expectations, much higher expectations than people have today, both in terms of behavior and in terms of academic achievement. When those two elements get uh, lessened in terms of what we expect, then you have room for all this social engineering to come in and many younger administrators have been schooled or are intimidated by their superiors to uh, try to create environments where those types of uh, new training programs or new uh, sets of understandings can be uh, inculcated into the school environment. And, and that has created a big shift and not many parents are totally aware of mm -hmm. the degree of change that has happened in many of the school systems. We'll come back to that a little bit later in the program, but I definitely want to come back to those concepts that you're talking about right now. I'd like to ask Mr. Siselka to go ahead and chime in. What are some of your observations with what's going on with our kids today? What are they facing? What are some of the new <clears throat> and emerging threats? Mm -hmm. uh, Ms. Rohavich was talking about some of the social engineering and some of the, the, the challenges uh, in education, which he, he's very much an expert in. 
Um, I'd like to bring up the topic of, of bullying, online bullying. Uh, there are a number of surveys and studies that continue to come out. Pew Research did a, a major study recently, it was published in October, where Pew Research concluded that 59% of children are the victims of cyberbullying. What was I think interesting? We've even got an article that we can pull up. We, we, that. Okay, good. And, and so we, we also, Pew uh, found that, um, that six in 10 parents were concerned about their, their children being cyberbullied. So there's a, a strong uh, correlation and really a strong realization among the parents that this is a real problem. And um, cyberbullying uh, can, can occur in, in many ways. There's, we'll probably talk about it a little bit later, but there can be stalking, there can be, there can be um, you know, blackmail and so forth. Uh, it, there's even a new trend coming up uh, or who's, that's becoming more more of a problem, where um, people are what, gaslighting, and that's a term that comes from the 1939 movie or 1938 uh, play in Britain. It was a British play about a husband who manipulated his wife into thinking she was essentially, you know, uh, crazy. And um, what what researchers are finding is that some of the techniques used by classic bullies, even to the extreme like to gaslight someone, where you withhold information from them, where you and a group of peers um, trivialize their position, where you, you, you deny or, or claim to not know where they're coming from or what, you know, where you block or, or divert um, their, um, their, their questions. That can be done in a group fashion on social media. And I've, I've even seen that, uh, I think, un, un, uh, unintentionally, but I've seen that sometimes where, uh, where people will just, if, if somebody, especially a teen or a kid, is, um, is less popular, they can, they can be ignored by the group. Uh, the conversation can be pushed in a different direction. What they claimed or, or, or said or didn't say can be reinvented somewhat. And you actually can have these young, very impressionable, vulnerable youth and, and children um, be the victim of, of a mob approach. Um, and, and psychologically, this is, this, is, this is a very psychologically powerful technique mm -hmm. where they can question, they're not just being bullied, they're questioning their own grasp on, on the truth. Mm -hmm. And that can lead to depression and all kinds of things. So, so that's one mm -hmm. um, cyberbullying, but uh, that, that's one uh, uh, concern that um, now is is more prevalent because of technology than it was 20 years ago. Well, you can even see, I think, where some of that cyberbullying could be used to help manipulate and even form young people's perspectives on right and wrong, mm -hmm. on uh, what's socially acceptable and what's not, on uh, even even the Bible and God's way of life. Powerful tools that kids are <laughs> exposed to even outside of the classroom today. What are some of the other um, pressures, emerging trends that our kids are facing today that come to mind? Well, I think there are there, there are many. Um, the whole issue you raise of bullying uh, is uh, is something that has got uh, completely out of hand, and and the way we're responding to it, I think. One of the um, one of the pressures that, that I've noted is, um, of course, we live in a dangerous society, or that's which is perceived to be uh, dangerous. And uh, many parents have responded by really being uh, very protective. And uh, school systems uh, and uh, many other, I suppose, uh, physical uh, training uh, 
facilities have also tried to become very protective uh, to the point where a number of years ago here in the city of Toronto, um, this Toronto school board banned uh, baseballs and basketballs from the school mm-hmm. playground in case someone got hurt, uh, you know, which is an absurdity, but nonetheless <laughs> um, driven by litigation mm-hmm. uh, and driven by uh, this fear of being harmed by something. Uh, we start to overprotect. And uh, we also can try this overprotection from ideas. Uh, if uh, someone brings up an idea which is not socially acceptable, whether it's um, you know, on one side or the other of a coin, uh, an argument over a historical statue, such as here in Canada of our first prime minister, um, if one takes a side based upon historical context, uh, they can be called racist, they can be called uh, all kinds of names, and you, you start to quash mm-hmm. academic debate. You start to quash the free flow of ideas, the dialectic that was the um, framework of ideas being bantered around, and so eventually you come to a more thorough understanding of both sides. You can't even have that discussion now because people want to shut it down. And children are being intimidated uh, in such a way as they will not express even a polite but dissenting opinion from what they perceive to be the popular view or the correct view in this particular environment. That is uh, academic suppression. Uh, it's, It's stifling. And it's not going to do our society any good. And it's not going to do those children any good in the long run. I think this is a major uh, issue as well uh, in trying to ensure that children are well educated um, and then able to understand the context of their past and only when you understand that context can you make meaningful choices as to where you're going in the future. Uh, This is is an issue. This is interesting because you, you bring up, you brought this up in the context of bullying which makes me ponder. We were talking before the program today about curriculum, specifically sexuality education curriculum, and how it's, it's almost as if children are being bullied in the classroom and not being allowed to express even um, discomfort with the yes. topics that are being talked about and even parents being excluded. Maybe you could talk about, either of you could jump in and talk about some of the, the curriculum things that are going on today in California, in Scotland, perhaps. I'll just mention very quickly, and then I'll let Mr. Selka uh, come in. Uh, For example, in in terms of the uh, uh, curricula in Scotland or in the province of Alberta, and I believe possibly in California, although I haven't read it in detail, uh, the requirement of the child is to affirm a practice. And that's how it's written in some of the curriculum. Not that you will learn about a practice, but that you will affirm it. In other words, you will agree with it. And uh, so if you express based upon a cultural or religious or uh, perhaps even the opinion of your parents, uh, a negative view, even if politely expressed, students can be censured for that. Mm. And in some cases, um, removed from class or failed. And there have been cases of uh, first-year university students being failed because they didn't agree with the position being espoused in the classroom. And this is, uh, this is basically um, draconian, and it's uh, very third world in its uh, approach. And even in the third world, I shouldn't say that, because the third world, you probably have more freedom of speech in some areas. Right. 
Yeah, I was going to say, uh, you know, it, it's, you're right. Uh, in, in the third world, quote unquote, and frankly, some of the, uh, the other world superpowers like Russia, um, they're much more on the traditional uh, side of the coin here um, and look at, at us in the Western nations and, and really uh, ridicule us. So I think our audience needs to uh, just be reminded of that, that, that um, if you feel like you're in the minority in, uh, in California, as an example, uh, in the public school system, because you're a conservative Christian, you probably are in the minority within the, the, the academic world, but you may not be in the minority as far as just your neighbors go, and you're definitely not in the minority as far as the whole world goes. If you look at, again, Russia and other, <coughs> other countries, um, they're much less, uh, less enthusiastic uh, about you know, the whole LGBT agenda. I think it was, uh, Mr. Rohavich might remember, but I think it was 2011 when California passed the uh, SB 48 uh, bill, which was, um, that was, uh, it required them to teach LGBT history studies in, 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 in school. So that's, if I'm remembering correctly, that was 2011, that's seven, eight years ago. It's, it, our parents need to be reminded that this isn't um, something that, that's just started to happen you know, this year. Mm -hmm. There's been a systematic push for, for quite a while to build that curricula into schools. And as Mr. Rohavich mentioned a few moments ago, we now have, and I think he said some younger you know, educators, and it's true. You have younger educators, you have younger um, uh, politicians and legislators who frankly, they're the second generation growing up with this um, this new, um, these new norms. And so um, when, when a parent that's a, speaking from a traditional Christian perspective, goes to talk to a legislator or a teacher, they may, that legislator, that teacher may not be discussing things from a traditional Christian perspective, nor were their parents. Mm. You may be talking to the second or third generation of someone who's yeah been indoctrinated in this, you know, <clears throat> all the liberal, liberal, liberal bias. Let me push us on to another question. We've, we've looked for just a little bit here on what, what are some of the things that our young people, our children, our grandchildren are being exposed to. What's helpful to remember is that society in general is actually recognizing that some of these issues are problems and they are trying to come up with some solutions. What are some of the solutions that you think the world, society in general around us has put forth to try and protect children as they grow up in this world? There's, I'll jump in with a couple quick comments. There, there is more of an awareness now. I'll, I'll come back to uh, technology and, and, uh, and, and social media. There's more of an awareness, uh, which is good. I was reading a report this morning in preparation for the program. Uh, there was a British study uh, in late November uh, uh, the, in England. They, they commissioned a, a person to um, to uh, study uh, how children are being affected by, um, you know, by social media and so forth. And so this group did the study and they published a report, who knows what about me. What they found was that by the time a kid turns 18, there will be about 70,000 posts about that kid on the internet. Now, why do I bring this up? Because big data, big tech companies, and frankly governments, are able to look at that that you know world of information about our kids and they're able to use that to not just target advertising but also to frankly uh, affect what they see on their news feed uh, what they show them on snapchat instagram facebook twitter so forth even what google shows them so there is now more of an awareness 10 years ago 
if I were to have this conversation, make that comment, people would, a lot of people would say, well, that's, that, 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 that's, that's new, new information. Nowadays, a lot of parents are aware that they need to be more involved. So what are some of the things that, you know, that, that people can do? One is being aware of, of how your kids are using social media and frankly, making some, some changes. Um, do you need to post birthday announcements on Facebook about your children's birthday, birthday parties and in the names of all of their friends. Do you need to do that? Um, maybe you shouldn't for a whole lot of reasons. Um, but one of the reasons, just to stick with social engineering, is that big data companies and advertising companies can scrub that information, can, can know your children's age, gender, what gifts they received, who their friends are, can map that all out, build big databases on you know, your, your children, and market to them. And, and I think, you know, not to get too much into conspiracy theories, I think that as, as the years go by, it won't just be marketers, it will be governments that will be building these data, databases and saying, you're the kind of, of citizen that we approve of, or you're the kind of citizen we don't approve of. One of the things I, I apologize to the audience, I neglected to uh, share with you about Mr. Siselka's background at the beginning is he spent many years working with the internet and with technology. And so this is an area he knows very well as you're able to distinguish by what he's talking about. Mr. Wahavich, <clears throat> there are attempts that society has made to uh, protect young people from things like uh, school violence and bullying. And on some level, you can appreciate what schools have done to do that, but are there any drawbacks from those efforts to, to try and prevent bullying? Well, you know, um, as a very long-time educator for almost 50 years, uh, the uh, schools uh, quite a while ago didn't seem to have that much of a problem with bullying. There was always bullying of some sort, but that could be dealt with pretty a quick pretty quickly and pretty efficiently by a good teacher or a good principal. It didn't need a policy. It needed common sense. <laughs> and, uh, but as of well, 10, 15 years ago, we started to see these bullying policies. And uh, in part, it was uh, a reaction to uh, maybe news media covering a certain type of story, certainly the Columbine issue and then the rash of school shootings uh, really brought things to, to a bit of a head. And instead of being a, a more logical reaction, they felt that they could protect against everything by policy, which is simply not true in governmental circles. But anti-bullying policies were put in place. Uh, eventually, other organizations got a hold of those policies and expanded them and are now using this idea of anti-bullying uh, to put forward protection against any form of criticism for certain social initiatives. Um, the, a, a good example is the whole LGBTQ issue where there is a tremendous impetus on the part of that organization and their allies to push this into schools, to cause children to affirm it, and quite frankly, probably to recruit. Um, at the same time, the anti-bullying policies already had protected against people being discriminated against on even grounds of gender. But that wasn't good enough. So they used the anti-bullying policies to start to not protect 
against general bullying as the common citizen would recognize it, but to use anti-bullying as a means of creating a wall of protection uh, around those who would promote any new types of issues which challenge traditional morality or challenge traditional views. And uh, you have to be permissive of everything except a traditional value. And so the, uh, the whole concept of bullying policies has been turned on its ear and is now actually used to bully and harshly anyone who expresses, as I said, a, uh, even a polite but dissenting opinion against some of these new social initiatives. So the anti-bullying policies are actually used to silence students who want to speak up or silence teachers who want to speak up mm, or parents. Uh, and uh, put forward a different perspective. Yes. Um, you know, I, I, bullying and you were asking what are some of the approaches that, that parents and so forth. Um, I, 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 a news item caught my attention recently and uh, th it was a dad and he, um, I, I applaud him for trying to be involved, um, but it demonstrates um, a real lack of wisdom and, 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 and how he tried to deal with the, with a problem. Uh, this is on the news, uh, a few, it was recent, I won't mention the, the man's name, I feel bad for him and his daughter, um, but apparently 10-year-old girl, daughter of his, was, uh, was the bullier, and so she was kicked off of a school, her school bus, she was not allowed to uh, ride the bus anymore because she was the bullier. And so, as a, I think, I think he had it well intended. I don't want people getting mad at me for what I'm getting ready to say here. I'm not condoning what this man did, um, but he said he was involved. He said, "Look, I, I don't want my, my my daughter bullying other kids." So he uh, decided to make her walk to to school instead of ride the bus. Well, the problem is it's it's winter. It's a northern area, and uh, and he 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 drove the car to keep her safe. This is not a I don't think a bad person, a bad dad, but he drove the car and, and, and filmed her, uh, or at least filmed part of it, uh, with her walking. And he claimed it was a five-mile walk, which to me is a little far. Now, I know for those of you who are in your 60s or 70s and you walked uphill both ways to school, uh, I know, in, 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 in the snow, you know. Um, but then he posted it on social media. And that was a grave mistake because now he has, I think, unintentionally uh, bullied her. He has posted a video of him humiliating her on social media, and all of a sudden there's this backlash, which I, I think there, there should be, that that was just really foolish of him to do that, to publicly humiliate his, his, his daughter. Probably a, a, a good dad trying to do his best, you know, but not, not wise. Yeah. Um, he kept her safe. He drove along the, the road, you know, but, um, but be careful. So what, what's my point for telling this story? Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, be involved. Know what your kids are, 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 are involved in if they're the recipient or the, the, the person doing the bullying. But be careful in how you deal with it. Um, don't bully them back. Don't, don't, don't post something on social media of you humiliating your kid. Let, I'm going to push us forward. Thank you for that observation. I, we do have to be careful. When we look at the world's attempts to try and deal with these challenges to our youth. We do see attempts that are being made, but we see mistakes that are being made as well. And even as Mr. Wahavich pointed out, a whole Pandora's box is being opened up, creating other problems. God does give us some principles though, doesn't he? 
the Bible gives us some principles on how we can raise children in such a way that we can protect them from the course of this world. What are some of those powerful biblical, uh, godly scriptures and principles that we need to be aware of when raising children today and protecting them from the course of this world? Well, I would think uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is uh, what is the world doing to undermine the concept of God? And uh, the we know that research uh, does point out that often when a child is in the eighth or ninth grade, that's when they're that's when you really start either holding them or losing them because if uh, the society through its promotion of other beliefs or its uh, denigration of the concept of religion or creation um, undermines the faith of that student in the existence of a God and the reality of a God, uh, then uh, that student is uh, not going to follow along with the parents' traditions mm. in most cases. And so once God is questioned and the determination of right or wrong is also then a very subjective thing, and uh, situation ethics apply, etc. If I were going to uh, help a child today, I think one of the things I would do primarily uh, is uh, even more so than maybe teaching them biblical principles, is the very first thing is give them some rudimentary tools that they would be able to prove over and over again in their mind that there is a God. You know, uh, just a couple of quick points because um, society wants to challenge that. So if, if uh, one of these societal points is all science agrees with evolutionary development, everyone. That is simply an untruth. I would encourage people to go to the website, Descent from Darwin, and uh, there you can find the names of over a thousand leading scientists, all with PhDs, who have signed uh, a disagreement with Darwinian theory and are presenting reasons for it. Uh, not all science agrees with evolution. Some leading scientists at some of the world's top universities do not. Um, secondly, little concepts like we know that science does understand the universe had a beginning. We know if it's expanding radially from, radially from a central point, it had to have a beginning. And every beginning requires a cause. And a professor no less than uh, Dr. Alexander Vilenkin of Tufts University, uh, a famous physicist, has indicated that, that that is proof of a need for a creator. Uh, physicist Dr. Vera uh, Kostyakovsky at MIT uh, makes the statement that the order of matter calls for the divine. You know, students need to know that there's major scientists here. Uh, the, in the intricacy of a cell requires, with all its molecular motors, its organelles, its complex cell chemistry, it requires a creator. Uh, probability theory says that's not going to happen. You can reference Meyer's book, uh, Signature in the Cell. Um, the whole failure of evolution to come up with any intermediary fossil species is a major problem. And, you know, even Nobel laureate George Wall, and, you know, if a student knows this, it's, it's very important. If they know that there's a Nobel laureate in biology who has fundamentally stated there are only two options for how we got here. One, spontaneous generation of non-living things to living things. And he points out that Louis Pasteur proved that was impossible 120 years ago. And secondly, 
a deliberate act of creation by God. And he says there's no third possibility. Mm. You know, these are the kinds of things that can create that uh, strength of evidence. And once that's there, then the other aspects of biblical doctrine can follow. But if I were going to prepare a child for life in this world and all its messaging, because you can't wrap them in bubble wrap, right? but all its messaging, that would be one of the key pieces I would provide. There is, there is a God. The, uh, you know, the Bible says that um, the heavens declare God's glory. And I think that one thing that parents can do is, is instill a, uh, an awe of God in their young children especially and just point out some of the, uh, the, 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 the facts. Like Mr. Rohavich, he went through a long, good long list. You know, the, um, the, the Goldilocks zone, for example, is something that we'll talk about where um, habitable, habitable planets have to be a certain distance from stars and so forth. But it's not only that. You know, for example, if Jupiter didn't exist, or if Jupiter were closer or farther from the sun, life would be impossible on planet Earth. So there are some easier, uh, you know, fundamental concepts that I think that we can expose in an honest way with our younger children. And, you know, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 6, verse 7, that we're supposed to, to teach God's way and statutes and laws throughout the day, right? Mm -hmm. um, throughout the day, just to talk about God. And, of course, the heavens declare God's glory. David says that in the Psalms in a couple places. Um, you know, when our children are young, let's counter what they're seeing and hearing on television and the Internet and school and so forth, and let's praise God's creation, praise God as a creator, and, and, and just instill some of these fundamental points. Um, as they get older and they approach, uh, you know, uh, high school and then beyond, and they're confronted with uh, these academics who want to, you know, argue for, for evolution, um, they will have to deal with those, those intellectual arguments. They'll, they'll have to, mm -hmm. to, uh, to do, you know, heavier duty research. But we're not doing a service to our children if we're silent and basically um, almost unintentionally creating a, a home environment of ignorance when our children are three, four, five, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. You can't just say, well, God's great and I love God. You know, well, good, but there are some easy principles that even a young kid can understand, like the Goldilocks zone. That's why I mentioned that. It's, it's simple, it's provable, and there are scientists who have written papers on it and they can study it more. But make God central to your kid's uh, worldview from the ages of zero, one, two, three, four. We need to wind this down, gentlemen. I'm sorry. But what I would like you to do is leave us with a, a takeaway message for today. What, what kind of a message do you have for the audience related to what we've been talking about and in terms of protecting our children and our grandchildren from the course of this world? Mr. Wahavich, would you like to start? Well, very briefly, I think I would just reiterate the, um, the importance of ensuring that they can prove in their own minds that there is a God and uh, that they need to be knowledgeable people. Our society is trying to create uh, individuals with um, very minimal levels of knowledge. Uh, they want them to get all their information off a Twitter feed, which is extremely shallow. So they need to have a knowledge of history, of geography, um, of good language. And they need to uh, perhaps 
have an opportunity to study music, uh, to study some form of art, uh, as well as to be physically uh, competent uh, with um, an exercise, etc. That creates a level of confidence and skill, and that's important. But that basic point of trusting that there is a creator is one of the great tools, along with the others, that we can then have them prepared to go out in the world and uh, to be somewhat protected from the lies that are so prevalent in this society. Well, it seems like that ties in with Mr. Soselka's comments a minute ago as well, is training those children as they grow up. But even when they go on, if they go on to university, that's not the time for parents to disengage either because yes. our children are going to be exposed to some pretty high-level and highfalutin arguments that we may need to continue to help them navigate through. Um, I, I would, I would uh, what practical thought could I give? You know, I was tempted to, when you asked the question, to talk about some sort of internet monitoring technology or something really nerdy like that. But I think I'd like to, 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 to make the recommendation that uh, Mr. Gerald Weston made in one of his articles. Uh, why, it, the article's on the website, tomorrowsworld.org, and the article is titled, Why Kids Go Wrong, Part 2. He had a lot to say about it. It's, uh, part 1 and Part 2, both good articles. And it's actually his 10th point, and I'll summarize it, but he, he essentially says, set high expectations. And if you're a parent or a, you know, an uncle, you might think, well, why, 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 is, why is Wyatt saying set high expectations? How, how practical is that? That is a, a wonderful tool. If you give your children unconditional love, God loves us unconditionally. God gave Jesus Christ to die for everyone while we were still sinners, right? Uh, Christ died, you know, as, as a sacrifice uh, potentially for all who will accept that sacrifice and who will repent. There, there's this massive unconditional love that parents should have if we're reflecting God's love. However, God has rules, and He sets the bar high. He expects you to not uh, cheat, steal, lie, commit adultery, murder, and so forth. Well, we should expect our children to, to, to rise to a high standard. And that's, that's what Mr. Weston was saying. Don't, don't lower the bar. You know, set high standards. Unconditional love, but set high standards. I expect you to be in by curfew. I expect you to, you know, help with the, the, the dishes. I expect you to make A's in your classes. I expect you to not do drugs, not vape, not lie, not, you know, et cetera. Set high standards. If, if you do that and you blend it with unconditional love, I think that will go a long way to keep your kids uh, out of trouble. And um, they'll probably rise to the occasion and they'll probably impress you. Part of my background personally is in educational research <clears throat> and sort of the impact of parents in their involvement in things like those expectations on their kids. And I think what's interesting is the research backs up your advice, is that parents who do set those standards, the, the kids will rise to those standards in most cases. If they're not set, they won't do it. But if they are set, well, the, the kids will exceed our expectations when we put those prods on them. Gentlemen, I want to thank you both for being here today. Mr. Wavich, thanks for joining us. I hope you stay well, warm you. up there in the great white north. <clears throat> but we do have the opportunity to, to wind this down. You know, for our viewers, the world around us is changing every day. What was socially acceptable is no longer. And what is socially acceptable appears to be having dire consequences on our children. Parents today are facing situations and decisions never dreamt of by parents just a decade ago. But there's hope. Parenting today is more important than ever. And a powerful key to protecting our children from the course of this world is for parents, both if at all possible, to be involved with every aspect of their child's lives. 
Parents and grandparents must make the time to interact with their children and know what their children are learning and doing. We've talked about that today. In a busy world with many distractions, parent involvement is difficult, but it must be a major priority, as must grandparent involvement. To learn some very helpful approaches to parenting, be sure to read and look at our very helpful booklet, Successful Parenting, God's Way. It's available at tomorrowsworld.org for download or to order. And for more encouraging news about the future, we encourage you to visit us at tomorrowsworld.org and stay tuned to TW Now each week. Next week, we plan to answer the question, was Christ ever in Christmas? The answer and the history behind the answer may surprise you. Please join us again next week.